Welcome back to That Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scher. We're back at the Brian Corner Cafe talking about a favorite book. Not the favorite book. That would be much too hard. But a favorite book folks have kept on their shelf. I hope you'll come to one of these events, sit around the table with us, 32nd and 65th in Northeast Seattle. We're usually there on Tuesdays, though we'll be gone for a few weeks. You know, you can also join us at Town Hall, July 23rd. That stack of books will be on stage. We'll be talking to some authors, talking about books, taking questions from you. Hope to see you there or at the Bryant Corner Cafe. Hello, it's That Stack of Books. I'm Nancy Pearl. I'm Steve Scher. We're here at the Brian Corner Cafe again with a room full of readers. <laughs> Talking about a favorite book that we pull off the shelf. You know, last time we did this, Steve, it was so so much fun, and I think we all so much enjoyed sharing books that are close to our hearts that that when you and I were talking about what to do this week, I think we both agreed, oh, let's do that again. I certainly got a lot of, of books to put on my to-be-read list. I was, I was pushing a lot of people, though, to tell me why that yes. book was their favorite. What, what did you think about for this time? What one book did you think about that was your favorite? Did you have one? Yes. Well, this is people always say, what is your favorite book? People, many times people say to me, Nancy, what is your favorite book of all time? And I usually say, oh, that's such a hard question. I cannot possibly answer it. But really and truly, I think my favorite book of all time is a novel called A Gay and Melancholy Sound by a man named Merle Miller. And this was the first book in the reprint series that I did called Booklust Rediscoveries. And it's, it's, it's a great for book groups. It's a long book. It's basically a man telling his life story on a series of reel-to-reel tapes. So you can tell this book was not written in the 2000s, um, but instead back in the 1960s. Um, Merle Miller was a novelist. He um, he wrote a very, very influential book when he came out as a gay man before Stonewall, um, which was, and he came out in an essay in um, the New York Times magazine, a very, very moving ex- essay. It's called, and then there's a book made from that essay called On Being Different. But a gay and melancholy sound is is the book that is that that I could never. I'm so happy it's back in print and people will have a chance to read it. Why why was it a favorite for you? I mean, what was it that? I mean, yeah, you read a lot of books. It, it was partly it was a favorite because I I like reading. I, I love the voice of the narrator, and the voice of the narrator is a young man who grew up with a very difficult father, uh, a very difficult mother, a, a very, even more perhaps difficult stepfather, and his attempts to get over those childhood, um, that childhood that was so detrimental to any kind of a healthy, healthy adult life. And... Does the, that resonate with you because of your it, own childhood? Yeah, it does resonate. I think it probably resonates in some ways with most people. I mean, I think most people have to come to terms with childhood 
in order to live a productive and, and, and healthy life. But what, what, why this book is such a favorite of mine is that I, the writing just always blows me away. And I must have read this book probably seven. I discovered it in college at the Annapolis, Maryland Public Library. There it was on the shelf. I read it my freshman year of college instead of studying Greek. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I just had never forgot it. it. It was such an important book to me. Hmm. Is he somebody who writes in wonderful sentences, paragraphs, or is it something about the story he's telling? The story, the story he's telling is very moving, and the way that he tells it, it, it makes wonderful use of language. So here's how, here's how the book starts. Notes dictated on the first day. I was presented with this tape recorder five years ago. It was the gift of a group of people, most of them actors, if you call actors people. I had helped keep off the streets and the unemployment lists for three wildly successful years. Until now, I had thought the damn thing would be auctioned off with the rest, unwanted and unused. In fact, several times I had started to give it away, but there's more of my mother in me than I like to think. As she used to say, a penny earned is a penny saved, and a stitch in nine saves time. So this morning, I unlocked the closet, and there this recorder was, gathering dust. There, was also, there were also enough boxes of tape to start a tape store. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Sets me in there. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, look, you're on the back. Yeah, right. One. How funny. One of my all-time favorite novels. <laughs> Nancy Pearl. Yeah, very funny. So the main character in A Gay and Melancholy Sound is a child prodigy named Joshua Bland, whose life has been anything but bland. And I, I just would love it if some people here would read it so, I can, um, so we can talk about it, or at least smile over it. Is it still available now through that imprint? It, it is still available through the Booklust Rediscoveries imprint, which are um, all available on Amazon. You're not doing any more of those? I am doing a series of children's books. Right. So n next, next, um, the next, not next week, but in the, in the weeks to come, I'm going to talk about some of the new children's books, the, the, the new again children's books that we've reissued. That's great. Who has thought about this topic in a meaningful way as a favorite book? Hi, I'm Jenny Capella. And as usual, for those of you who have seen me here before, I tend to focus on business books because I'm a consultant and I just read a lot of those. But this one could apply to anybody, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And I don't know if you've heard of The Five, language, five Love Languages, but this is based on it. The author was so um, inundated with people asking him for business advice on that other book. So for me... In my business world, mine, this is an absolute favorite read. And this is something that even if you're not in business, you can use it with friends and family because everybody, according to him, has a favorite language that they prefer to receive in. And they won't feel loved, whether in business or, or life, if they don't hear that primary language coming at them. So you're not talking about French or Latin. What are you no. talking about? I'm talking about the five different languages, such as does a person prefer to hear words of appreciation? And is that the way that they know that somebody loves them? And sometimes other people prefer getting a gift. So for example, my top one is words of appreciation. And if somebody gives me a gift, I'll gladly accept it. I love that. But what really makes lifts my spirit and my heart is when they talk to me, Jenny, great job. I really appreciate that you did that. And so 
that's the kind of thing that he means by languages. I think I, I do think then that would be really useful um, in, in relationships. You know, I'm thinking about relationships where people are speaking different languages, and we talk about it in those terms. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and literally, these authors have taken people from the brink of divorce simply, or the brink of being fired from a company in this case, simply by identifying their love, their primary love language, and starting to speak it. It's like expecting the UN to all speak English when we've got Swahili in the room and French and Italian and, and assuming that that's what everybody needs. If you really want to communicate with somebody and get to the heart of the matter and who they are, this is a great book. Well, Jenny, thank you very much for bringing that in. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no! Okay, am I red as my shirt now? <laughs> I think it's a great thing to think about, Donna. We should all have... We should all have something that we can, uh, you know, we should have like a little, a little sign, a little tag that says, this is my language. Yeah. I know, to call it a love language, though, that makes me grimace. You know, it sounds so narrow. The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, Gary Chapman and Paul White, Empowering Organizations by Encouraging People. Revised and updated. It was, first, it was just four languages. And they did more. I'll be here all week. Anybody else? I'm Betsy Lindley, and um, this is a book I, that I really enjoyed I, by E.O. Wilson. It's called Ant Hill. It's about a boy who grows up in the South and in Alabama, and he's alone. He spends a lot of time with nature out in the woods. His love and he, is about fire ants. It's a fascinating book. It goes beyond um, just talking about his observations about fire ants, which he does quite a bit. And, and that is his specialty in real life. Do you, do you like ants? I'm fascinated by their organization because I don't have that. So they, they are <laughs> highly organized little things. Like him, I used to watch them when I was a little girl. And I found them very interesting. Besides, they can be very mean and they bite. Um, but I thought the whole ambiance of the South and then some of the issues that come up as far as um, development, taking a, a piece of a plot of land or a large part of land and the desire to um, develop it. And I saw this in my hometown where uh, wetland was developed. We could do this like, we could do this like um, couples. Let's see how close couples are. In their, in their book choices. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, the book I wanted to mention just briefly, and probably a lot of people have read it, is Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which I, I need to reread, but it, I think it's a great... Um, well, it was written in 1952 by Ralph Ellison, and, and it, to me it's still very timely. Ostensibly, it's about race in America, but I think it's one of the great existential... Uh, existentialist novels, novels as well, and I think uh, that uh, most people can identify with this character who isn't literally invisible but feels that way. I think I first read it in high school, and then I'm, you know, about ten years later, and I just felt, uh, I guess, it really struck a chord with me because he said so much about people who felt like they're on the margins. As, you know, not only people because of race or skin color, but I think it, 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 
it's so affecting, um, you know, just for anyone. Does it feel like it's even more appropriate in today's political climate? Well, some of it's dated, but it certainly gets into uh, the kind of psychological and physical violence that people face who are different. And there's a, a social justice theme in it, of course. First of all, I want to go on record as saying the question was mean. Your all-time favorite book is just no. that. No, 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 we would never do that. Okay, okay. Just okay. a favorite book. A favorite book, And okay. some people just grabbed some random book off the shelf. Okay. Because that was a very stressful question. You do not know how, you're looking at all, oh, my favorite child, I don't even know. So I, I was looking at all the shelves. Um, the other problem I had was favorite books, a lot of them were, were from my childhood when I would just, somehow books hit me more viscerally then. And then plus I would reread and I was, would be in that world. So I tried to pick, well, what book as an adult have I read and read several times to make sure that it's still has staying power and I still couldn't do it so I kind of cheated and came up with an author does that kind of count who's so sure. I have, no, let's vote uh, not fair you're so. eliminated <laughs> that's it so Louise off Erdrich. the island yeah there you go uh, so this is the best I could do but um, and I would say this is a good Louise Erdrich love medicine is a good choice of Louise Erdrich so we can say this is a favorite even if it's not the all-time favorite but I just think that um, I've read her books now over at least 20 years, I would guess, and I haven't read all of them, but I've read them and reread them and talked about them, and I just think that um, her writing is just, it's beautiful and it's powerful, and the characters, they just have all, have dignity, there's beauty in the lives, even if their lives aren't beautiful, they're just... I just appreciate the world that she draws for us and how she draws it. And well, why'd you why'd you save that copy of that book in your house? Um, maybe it's kind of representative of some of the things I liked. It she um, she draws a world, so sometimes it's a novel, sometimes it's interweaving stories, and sometimes it's over generations of the same family. And so this one, I think, had some um, chapters that really stuck out for me. Did you read A Plague of Doves, Jennifer? I did not read that one, no. So that, A Plague of Doves is followed by The Roundhouse. And I that's would, The Roundhouse, the last one of hers okay, I read. Okay, so A Plague of Doves comes before it. It was written about four years before um, Roundhouse. And I, I thought that was just one of the strongest, amazing books. Um, of, to, of hers of or hers, in general? Of hers and, and, um, and, and books that, that illuminate a particular um, group of people um, and a place. I think that's what she does. And, and her writing is just stunning. I mean, if, if anybody deserves, I'm sure there are a lot of authors who deserve kind of a Lifetime Achievement Award, but I think Louise Erdrich is, is somebody who, 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 that should be bestowed upon her without delay. Has she, has she won awards? She's won awards for her oh, writing. Yeah, that's National Book yeah. Award, Penn Faulkner for various books. So I'm Roz, and finding favorite is hard, so I really tried not to think about it as all-time favorite. Can't do that. So a book that I really liked, I've read it twice and probably need to read it again, is The Tiger's Wife by Taya Obrett. Um, it was popular a few years ago. Got some kind of mixed reviews because some people really didn't like the writing. I loved the writing in it. She has run-on sentences, but... I like that kind of thing. I just thought the language was beautiful. It was her first book, it was pretty amazing. It takes place in the old Yugoslavia, 
Some people were bothered because boundaries weren't drawn. You didn't know exactly what city or what countryside or what boundary she'd crossed, had her characters cross, and that didn't bother me at all. You got the flavor of culture. There's a lot of kind of folklore in it. Um, and as well as realism, some history. And it's about a young woman who's a physician but starts out when she's a child um, with her grandfather and her grandfather dies. And then in the course of the book, she travels the countryside and learns about her culture and folk stories and myths and traditions and finds out how her grandfather died. The second time I read it, I found a lot of connections between characters and things that happened that I hadn't caught the first time. And just flipping through it now, I'm thinking, I really need to read this again. I just think this is beautiful. So what compelled you? Just that other people didn't like it and you did? What was compelling well, for you? Um, I think somebody gave it to me, probably, as often happens. And then I suggested it to my book club when we read it. Then I was having to lead the discussion, so I had to read it again, of course. Um, but I liked it even better the second time. Probably took me six tries to get into this book. Really? And I kept putting it down and putting it down and thinking I just can't do this. And then I said, no, i got to read Nancy Pearl's 50 pages. I've got to do this. And because, because it was bleak? Because it was no, it clunky? Didn't, it, didn't, it just didn't grab me at first. It's a story about the young girl going to the zoo with her grandfather and this tale. And then I thought, no, I'm just going to let myself go with this. And read a little bit more and then I just couldn't put it down. I, I had the same problem. I could not get into it, but I, I have never gone back to it. So are you, are you tempted now? Yes, I'm very tempted now. Thank you, Roz. So I'm Tom and uh, someone a couple of weeks ago mentioned that they were reading the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And that reminded me of this book, The First American, The Life and Times of Benjamin Franklin by H.W. Brands. Uh, and it would be hard to write a, a weak book about Benjamin Franklin because he was such an incredible guy. <laughs> he was sort of the Forrest Gump of his time. Wherever something important was happening, there was Benjamin Franklin. But in addition to that, he was also a genius. <laughs> uh, and so the things he did and said were quite, quite uh, remarkable. Plus, I think Brands has written it very well. He's put it into the context of the times, and done a very good job with that. And there, and there are vignettes in here which, which really uh, attracted me to the little things that happened that we didn't even know about where Franklin was there. The, the, uh, the one that uh, I have reread many times uh, is uh, Franklin and John Adams were invited by uh, Admiral Howe, the British Navy, to come behind enemy lines at the beginning of the Revolutionary War and parley for peace. And Howe eventually brought a message from the king saying that they, the British essentially had changed their mind. They were willing to withdraw all the taxes and they would give amnesty to everyone who was pushing for independence uh, and would essentially do what the Americans wanted done uh, except that they had to remain colonies. And uh, Franklin and Adams had to tell him that just a couple weeks before they had written this Declaration of Independence <laughs> and he didn't know about it. And so he basically had to say it's too late. And as Brand said, if that offer had been made a year or even six months before, the majority of Americans probably would have accepted it. 
And there was Franklin and Adams having to make this decision with this extremely powerful person who, by the way, could have at that point arrested them, taken them back to Lo London and had them hung as traitors. They had no guards with them, no military people with them. It was just those, Rutledge was with them too. There were three Americans and that was it. And Howe uh, was a gentleman officer and never considered uh, capturing them or arresting them. So, you know, that, that kind of a vignette that I'd never heard about before reading this book, uh, there, there are several like that in there that just absolutely fascinated me. I remember about that book that Brands gave us Franklin warts and all. He wasn't a very good father and family man. Kind of a, a, a wild and somewhat promiscuous guy when he uh, traveled around France. So he, he, was, he, was, not a, he was not a perfect uh, person, but he, 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 he really had a good heart. Uh, and the things he tried to accomplish, you know, libraries, for example, <laughs> and uh, uh, post offices, <coughs> uh, and uh, uh, fire departments, all those kinds of things, p newspapers. Uh, he, he really had a vision of what communities ought to be like that I think is still with us today. Uh, you know, I, I think that H.W. Brands is one of our best contemporary historians. I think, I think he's still a professor at UT, University of Texas in Austin. And I was introduced to him, uh, not not face-to-face -face introduction, but I, the first book of his I read was The Age of Gold, which was about the California gold rush. And, and it's just as you said, Tom, I mean, it's all the little things that he puts in that builds up this much larger story. And H.W. Brands has a new book out, a biography of Ronald Reagan. He does have this, uh, a brand new book out about Ronald Reagan. Uh, the First American, The Life and Times of Benjamin Franklin, H.W. Brands. All right, favorite books are very hard. That is a very hard, even word, even if it's a favorite. It's very it, difficult. It is, and because books are, books are favorites at different times in your life, and, and really to to put someone on the spot, which I didn't mean to do. What I meant to say was bring a favorite book, not the favorite book of your life, or a book that you really enjoyed, um, which is far easier to do than to limit it to that. All right, well, either way, thank you all very much. We're at the Brian Corner Cafe at 32nd and 65th, and again, thanks to Chris and to Sarah for letting us be here. Thank you very much. We won't be back at the Brian Corner Cafe for three or four weeks, but when we're back, we'll let you know. You can follow us on Facebook. We'll post announcements there. Also on Facebook, you'll find uh, the list of the books. Also, all our podcasts and the books at thatstackofbooks.com. We're looking forward to you joining us one of these days. You also might think of joining us at Town Hall in Seattle, July 23rd. We'll have that stack of books on stage. We'll be talking to some authors. Hope you'll be in the audience. Happy reading. <laughs>